Thanks for joining us on the Authentic Church Podcast. Let's jump right into this week's message. And we have been in a series titled Believe the Impossible because we serve a God who could do the impossible right? We serve a God who's not limited to the natural world that we live in because he's a supernatural God and he can do the impossible, but that also means to be able to see these miracles, you got to get your feet wet. You remember that from last week? Got to get your feet wet. I actually got my shoes wet just for you guys to prove that point. So do me a favor, look to somebody next to you and say, got to get your feet wet to trust the Lord that nobody has for you. And we learned last week, I taught you the story of Joshua leading the Israelites across the Jordan River, but for the miracle to take place, they had to get their feet wet. And if you know the story, the Levitical priests had to carry this big, heavy Ark of the Covenant and stand beside the Jordan River, just kind of put a foot in like this, just to be comfortable, to be safe. No, they stood right in the middle of the Jordan River. And the Bible tells us that it was in the middle of the harvest time, meaning that the river was overflowing. It was dangerous. It could have taken them under. They could have lost the Ark of the Covenant, but God came through as he always does. And they remember what God did at the Red Sea. He parted the waters for the Israelites to exit out of slavery. And here, God is parting the Jordan River for them to enter into the promise. Because this generation believes. And what I love is, is this. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 15 and 18, it actually says that immediately as they, got, as they got their feet out of the Jordan River, the water started flowing again. The Lord said to Joshua, verses 15 through 18, command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant to come out of the riverbed. So Joshua gave the command, and as soon as the priest carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came out of the riverbed, their feet on high ground, the water of the Jordan returned and overflowed its banks as before. And if you read the story, also something that I love is that they had to sit there and stand there for a while. Like it wasn't just a short amount of time. They had to stand there for a while. Just the soldiers alone, 40,000 crossed the Jordan River. So imagine the Levitical priests just carrying the Ark of the Covenant, trusting God as the water builds up, builds up, builds up, builds up before them. But God said, it won't touch you, it won't hurt you. This is the land that I have for you. This is what I'm declaring over you, which means for us, when you believe God, you enter into his promise. Hallelujah. Like when you believe God, even though you may not understand why this is happening in my life, this is not going the way I thought it would go, but God, I still believe in your promises and I'm going to walk by faith. Why? Because you are a good God. And so Joshua brings the Israelites across the Jordan River into the promised land and then everything was perfect, right? I mean, this is the promise. They get to enter into the promise. So shouldn't everything be perfect? That's usually our expectations, right? When we receive the promise in life, oh, life should be perfect now, should be no issues, no more battles. But for Joshua and the Israelites, the battles were just beginning. See, God never promised that there wouldn't be battles. God just promised that there was going to be victory over the battles. And how many of you know that even though God promised it, there's going to be a lot of battles to face to get to that point in life for what God has for you. But God was preparing Joshua, and I love how he spoke to Joshua, okay? Because God wasn't like, well, if, <laughs> if you get across there, if you do this, hopefully everything will work out. No, listen to how, Josh, how God spoke to Joshua in Joshua chapter 6, verse 2. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho. 
God is speaking in past tense. I have already given you Jericho. I've already given you its king. I've already handed over all the strong warriors, meaning all you have to do is walk by faith. And it's yours. The promise is yours. What has God spoken over your life? There's promises that God has made to all believers in Christ, okay, in general for all of us, but there's also specific promises that God has spoken over you for your own life to impact the kingdom of God. What has God spoken over you? Truly, because he's always speaking. The problem is we're not always listening. Let's be honest with that. And what I've seen so many times is I've seen us walk away from the promises of God because we had the expectation that this meant everything was going to be perfect. And so because we weren't prepared for the battle or the trials that we're now facing, what do we usually do? God, I'm done. I'm walking away. And we walk away from the promises and the blessings that God actually wants to show us in our life. And I'm telling you today, keep walking by faith because that's how you see the miracles of God. And more importantly, that's how you know that God is real. Right? When somebody asks you, how do you know God is real? Well, let me tell you a story. I've seen so many things. I've risked everything. My family should have fallen apart. God said, just leap on faith. And here's what he did. And if he hadn't done that, we wouldn't have made it. This is how I know God is real. Listen, there's going to be battles in your life, even for good things and promises. Maybe you've been praying to the Lord. I'm ready to find that special someone, right? I'm ready to get married and spend the rest of my life with this person. And maybe you feel like you have found that special someone. But guess what? There's going to be a battle every single day over that relationship over your marriage. How many of y'all know that's true? Come on. Why? Because the devil is looking for any opportunity every single day to break up what God has joined together, what God has brought together, what God meant to be a blessing for your life. So guess what you got to do? You got to make Christ the center of your marriage, of your relationship, which means together you pray which means together you worship the Lord, which means together you're in the word of God to keep believing even when times are hard even when you're financially struggling, or even when you feel like everything is being ripped away from you, we know who we are in Christ, and God will continue to bless us just like he always has. I know what I have in the Lord. For some of us as well, it's that title or that position, and you finally got that promotion, but you didn't think it would come with all the responsibilities it did. And now there's a lot of weight on your shoulders. Have you ever felt such anxiety and stress that you couldn't sleep at night over the thing you wanted? (laughs) Over the thing you prayed to God for, all of a sudden now you got it, but you don't know how to handle all these issues. Everybody's asking you the hard questions. It's all on your shoulders. What do you do? Let me encourage you with this. Instead of being discouraged over the battles that are now coming towards you, instead be expectant over how God will bring victory. Instead of being discouraged over the battles, Be expectant over how God will bring victory into your life. Because in this case, Joshua has a new position. Moses is dead. They've already seen a miracle crossing the Jordan River. But remember, they have not fought a battle yet. Yet God has already put fear in their enemies. Remember what happened when the two spies went into the city of Jericho, right? They met a prostitute named Rahab and she told them, listen, we've heard what the Lord has done. We know the story out of the book of Egypt, or out of the book of Egypt, out of the Exodus account where God brought our people, God brought the Israelites out of the Red Sea. And because of that, they were afraid. Listen to this, Joshua chapter six, verse one. Now Jericho 
a fortified city with high walls was tightly closed because of what? Because of the people's fear. What were they afraid of? The sons of Israel. But the city was completely shut. No one went out or came in. And this was the first assignment for Joshua to take down as leader over the Israelites. And it's not that Jericho was extremely large because they were able to march around it in one day, but it was a powerhouse due to the water system. And again, it was a fortified city. The walls were so high, listen, there was no way they can get inside of this city without God's without a miracle from God, because they had to take down Jericho in order to enter into the promised land, because they had to get past Jericho to capture the hill countries. Otherwise, they never would have encountered what God had for them. But again, they were what? They were afraid. They already heard the stories. I want to remind you of something I said last week, is that you don't have to prove to people what God is doing in your life. A lot of times we want to say something, usually put our foot in our mouth, and then we regret it later. No, allow the miracles of God to show that people that God is in your life, and he's moving you, and he's blessing you, and he's doing things that you can never do on your own strength. So now let me share some facts about Jericho that I thought was interesting. So when I went to Israel, I got this picture, and this is a sign right outside of the city of Jericho, and it actually says the oldest city in the world, Okay. Jericho today is the oldest inhabited city in the world. In fact, it dates so far back that last week I showed you this map. Go ahead and bring that map back up. And I said, as, as uh, uh, Joshua and the Israelites were crossing the Jordan River, okay, it said that the water started to rise up at the city of Adam. Now there's Jericho right over there. So here's what we read last week. Joshua chapter 3, verse 16. The waters which were flowing down from above stopped and rose up in one mass a great distance away at Adam. This is the city of Adam that is beside Zarethan. Okay. Some rabbis believed that the city of Adam became the city of Adam because when Adam was expelled out of the Garden of Eden, that's where he went. Let's bring the map back. They believe that's where he went. And there is Jericho right there. And so all this together predates so much time throughout the Bible. And I want to show you this too. Not only is Jericho a very old city, okay, it's also very pagan. And I want you to understand this because God wasn't saying, hey, this, this city's just standing in your way. Wrong place, wrong time, get rid of it. No, God knew that they worshiped the idols of the world. You want to worship the world, you'll always bring destruction into your life. You understand that? You will always bring destruction into your life if you worship the ways of the world. And a lot of times we read the Bible stories and we're like, Pastor, I don't know nothing about that. Idolatry or any of these things. Like there's, there's nothing that I'm doing in my life. No, you know how easy it can be to be worshiping your title or your money or the things that you have, the things that you feel make you important. What happens if you lose it all today? Who are you? Your worth should always be in Christ because Christ has come to free you and redeem you. So Joshua made it very clear to the Israelites, listen, when we take down the city of Jericho and you go in, do not take anything for yourself. Do not take these idols for yourself because if you do, if you rebel against the Lord and worship the world, destruction will come upon you and all the nation of Israel. Unfortunately, many times they didn't listen to that warning. And the same is for us. But listen to what he said. Joshua chapter 6, verse 18. He said, do not take any of these things uh, set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will bring trouble 
on the camp of Israel. Not only that, but because it was so pagan and what they did, Joshua actually put a curse on the city of Jericho as well. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 26, it says, At the time Joshua invoked this curse, may the curse of the Lord fall on anyone who tries to rebuild the town of Jericho. And we see this fulfilled out of 1 Kings chapter 16. This city has been destroyed several times and rebuilt several times today. And here's what I love about all this information. Because you may be asking, what does this have to do with me? Listen, even though this was a rebellious city and they worshiped the idols of the world, God still shows his love and his mercy and his grace for anyone willing to repent and follow him and choose him. Because again, who do we know lived in the city of Jericho, the prostitute Rahab? How was she saved? Not by her own doing, but she was saved by faith. She believed in the one true God. She helped the Israelites, and because of that, she was redeemed. And I love how it's worded. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, the harlot, the prostitute Rahab, did not perish. I'm going to say that again. By faith, she was saved. For those with those who did not believe, when she had received the spies with peace, Rahab, a Gentile prostitute, was redeemed and saved by faith, meaning you are not too far gone. And it doesn't matter where you came from or what you did, even what you did yesterday. Listen, you can run to the Lord today. He still has promises for you. He still has blessings for your life. But do you believe it? Because I realize even for my own life, when I stop believing in what God has for me, it's easy to walk back into sin, right? It's easy to walk back in your old life and try to control things again because you stop believing in what God's going to do because maybe you're impatient or maybe you don't have the time or you don't want to deal with it anymore. And we walk back into these troubles in our life and God is saying, listen, I'm here. Run to me. Who gives you victory? It's not by your own strength that the walls of Jericho will fall down. It's by walking in faith. You want to see walls fall in your life? You want to see spiritual bondage fall in your life? These strongholds fall in your life? Walk by faith because you can't do it on your own. And this is the good God that we serve because he's always here for us. You are not too far gone to enter into the promises of God. And I believe even in our own life, these walls can fall. Okay? So the title of today's message is this. Let the walls fall. Let the walls fall down in our life. Again, these walls of Jericho did not come down because of physical strength. They came down by walking in faith. If you want to see strongholds in your life fall, learn to walk by faith. I'm going to share with you today three powerful truths that we can learn from the story of Joshua and the city of Jericho. Everybody ready? You feel good? You got the history lesson. Okay, let's dive in. You ready? All right, point number one is this. Walls will fall when you submit yourself to God. Walls will fall in your life when you submit yourself to God first. If you have your Bibles, you could turn to Joshua chapter five. This is my favorite part of the story, okay? Because here we see a supernatural encounter that takes place in Joshua's life that gives him instructions, listen, on how to fight, but also how to see victory. Okay, he had to submit himself to God to be able to hear the word of the Lord and what to do. So let's read together Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. It says, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword 
in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or are you foe? Meaning, are you on our side or are you on their side? And I love how he replied. He just said, no, neither. I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. I'm on the Lord's side. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And right at this moment, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. And he said, I am at your command. What do you want your servant to do? Now, notice this. Joshua realizes he's in the presence of the Lord. He's about to get a word from God. So he bows down before him and says, listen, what do you want your servant to do? Notice what is spoken here. Maybe you've heard it before. And then it says, the commander of the Lord's army replied and said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. The first point that I want to share with you out of this story right here is that in order for Joshua to give orders to his army, in order for Joshua to see victory for the nation of Israel, he must first submit himself to God. He must first humble himself before God's holy presence to hear clearly on what to do. Did you know that you could hear the voice of God? Again, God is always speaking. We're just usually pretty busy. We're neglecting the word of God. And when you spend time in his holy presence, and listen, listen, I've been there. God may tell you things you don't want to hear. God may say, you need to go forgive that person. I don't want to. I don't feel like dealing with that today. It's not a good day. It's raining outside. This is, you know, let me do it on another day. No, God's like, today. Because you don't know what I'm going to do today. I'm going to set up the perfect position for you to uh, forgive them. And you're going to see this grace fall, not only on them, but also on your family. And a burden you've been holding on to for a very long time will finally be released. And you can be healed and freed today. God is always speaking, but sometimes it's hard. And so what we see Joshua do did he, he, he said, Lord, what do you want your servant to do? Whatever it is you tell me to do, I'll do it, and I'll believe. And that's when he said, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, here's a cool question. Who's the commander? Who's the commander? Because we see him throughout the Old Testament, especially in the New Testament as well. I want to show you some examples of where we see um, this uh, commander. The first place we see him is Moses at the burning bush. Or one of my examples, not the first time, but one of my examples is Moses at the burning bush. At Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, it says, There's an angel of the Lord appeared to him, appeared to Moses, in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement, though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. Now notice, it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him, but in verse 5, it says, Do not come any closer, the Lord warned him. The angel of the Lord, and then it goes, though the Lord warned him. And what did he say? Verse 5, take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. And we see this repetition a lot with Moses and Joshua. Why? Because Moses invested into Joshua. Meaning, let me say it like this, leadership is temporary. It's temporary. It's for a season. It's for a time. And what we see out of Moses, when his father-in-law Jethro came in, he saw how many people he was uh, helping and correcting. So it, he said, it's not good for you to do this all by yourself. You need help. So invest into people so that you can do more, so that you can make a bigger impact. And so he invested into Joshua. And so we see all these examples, just like parting the Red Sea, parting the Jordan River. 
Okay, being before the presence of God, right? Taking off your sandals. Both of it happened for, or both of that happened for them. Not only that, but they both sent spies into the land of Canaan. We see it over and over and over again. But this time, the people believe. And because they believe, they're walking into the promise. But we see the angel of the Lord here. Let me show you another example. The parents of Samson. And Judges chapter 13, verse 3, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now listen, in verse 20, as they built an altar, because they didn't know that this was an angel of the Lord. They didn't know who they were speaking to at first. And I want to read this. I don't have this um, on the screen, so just listen. And in Judges chapter 13, verse 17, okay, they asked the angel of the Lord, said, what is your name? What is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. But verse 18, verse 18, but the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing that it is wonderful, miraculous? Where have we heard that before? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Redeemer. Who are we talking about here? And as they built an altar, verse 20 says, as the flames from the altar shot up toward the sky, the angel of the Lord ascended in the fire. Okay, when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell with their faces to the ground. Another example, my last example, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were in the fire, King Nebuchadnezzar put them in the fire. Did they get burned up? Did they get hurt? No. But what did Nebuchadnezzar see when he looked in? Listen to this, and I love how he worded it. Daniel chapter 3, verse 24 and 25, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. They replied, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around the fire unharmed and one of them, the fourth of them, looks like a god. It was with them, protecting them. Who keeps showing up? protecting the loss, protecting the hurt, protecting those that do not know what to do. And remember what Jesus said as, as he was being taken by the soldiers, right? Peter wanted to save him. He brought out his knife, cut off a man's ear. And Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 53. He said, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? One legion is six thousand angels who would have the authority to call down so many angels the commander and the chief the son of god jesus christ is this commander this chief and here's what i love about real, this realization this revelation it means that even though jesus is the general he does not hide behind his army he goes before us he fights the fight. He already wins victory, and he hands us as the children of God the victory over the situation. Because that's what he's speaking to Joshua. Listen, Jericho is already in your hands. I've already won the battle. The victory is yours. All you have to do is believe my words and walk into the promise. Right now, I don't know what battles you're facing. And again, maybe it is your marriage. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's your job. Maybe you just feel incomplete right now and you do not know why. Don't follow the ways of the world. It always leads to destruction. And following yourself, living in selfishness will never satisfy. But when you live for Christ, 
There is victory in every situation. There is a peace and a joy that comes from above because joy in your life is a spiritual need, not a physical one. And only Jesus can bring this into your life. But what happened next makes me laugh. Uh, Point number two is this. Faith does not always have to make sense. Faith does not always have to make sense. In fact, faith never makes sense. That's why we call it faith. You blindly walk and listen to the Lord and it's not going to make sense. Somehow we got this expectation that when God says move, everything should look right. Like, oh, okay, I see where you want me to go, God. Okay, good call, good call. No, it's always going to be scary. If God doesn't come through, you will fall on your face. It's meant to be that way so God can rescue you at your lowest point and you can see his love in a new way. Again, you can share the testimonies in your life. But the reason why this is funny to me is because now I picture Joshua is at the edge of his seat. Okay, I'm before you, Lord. What do I do? What are the instructions? And how many of you know that the ways of the Lord are not like our ways? <laughs> God does things in your life that you never thought he would do. Isaiah, t- uh, uh, goodness. Isaiah 55 verse 8 and 9 says it like this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so the Lord starts to speak to Joshua. The battle formation, the plan. Joshua chapter 6, verses 2 through 5. But the Lord said to Joshua, Again, I have given you Jericho, its kings, and all of its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town, Once a day for six days, seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. Now, pay attention because we've been over this. Numbers out of the Bible represent powerful things, powerful revelations. Why? Because they show us the character of God, how God is trying to get us to remember the miracles that he's already done and what he's doing in our life. And so we see seven here a lot, seven priests. Seven horns on the seventh day, march seven times, then you will have victory. What does the number seven mean out of the Bible? Perfection, completion. Why? Because God created all things in six days, and on the seventh day, he said it is good. It's perfect, and he rested because it was complete. So you see God give all these symbols like seven, 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 seven. Trust me, I'm all over this, okay? But let's continue the story, verse five. He says, when you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, the shofar, that's what that's called, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. And again, many of us have heard this story since we were young. Some of you had sang songs about this story over and over again. You don't have to sing it right now. It's okay. We'll sing it later after the service. But right, we've heard this story over and over again. We're like, they just walked. And it all fell down. Now, I want you to imagine you're Joshua. You're listening to the Lord. The commander is standing before you. And you're on the edge of your seat saying, God, what do we do? And the Lord speaks and says, okay, the first day you go in, you march around the city. All right, then what? You go home. <laughs> what? Say it again? Like, you, you go home. Okay, we don't do it. Don't pull out the swords. Nothing, nothing. Can't even like wave it around. No, no, no. You don't do any of that. You just go home. Okay, okay. So the second day, all right, God, what do we do? All right, you go back to the city, right? 
And as you march around the city, and maybe you want to say like, okay, like Sodom and Gomorrah, fire's going to fall down from heaven. Everybody's going to turn into salt, and we're going to jump in like booyah. Like, ha, we did it. God's like, no, <laughs> no, okay. You're going to march again. Isn't it funny? Sometimes when God reveals the plan, we just don't understand, and we're like, okay, God, why would you do it this way? Why would you do it in a way that's so different, so hard to understand? God does this to show you, again, who is really in control. Because the plan here also shows us that God did not need the Israelites one bit to make the walls fall down. He just wanted them to be part of the process so that they could learn to trust the Lord. And so God said, listen, on the third day, walk around the city. On the fourth day, walk around the city. On the fifth day, walk around the city. On the sixth day, walk around the city. All right, God, what are we doing? Besides that, on the seventh day, okay, this is where it gets good, right? Kick down the gate. No, you're going to walk some more. <laughs> All right, get your stretches in now, okay? You, you got you to gotta keep walking. So on the seventh day... You walk seven times around the city. And then when the shofars are blown, Joshua would tell you, it's time to shout. And then when you shout, the walls fall down. Really imagine it. Joshua, this is the plan. Not only did Joshua believe this, it's from the Lord, that this is how they're going to win victory. But imagine as the leader, as the general, going back to the army and saying, all right, guys, I got a plan. All right, what are we going to do? We're going to walk a lot for like six days, and then on the seventh day, we're going to walk some more, and then we're going to yell really loud, like just practice it now, and yell really loud, and then the walls will fall down, the walls storm down in there and just take everything out. Like, that's it? Yeah. Completely moving by faith, meaning they couldn't even brag about their own physical strength. It had nothing to do with them. For the walls to fall down. And to make it worse, because I, I see this a lot in the plans of God as he's, he's really challenging our faith. He says, listen, not only that, I'm going to make it worse. You can't talk. You can't say a word. Listen to this. Joshua chapter 6, verse 10. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout the battle cry, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word come out of your mouth until the day that I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. Some of us have a problem just remaining silent for 30 minutes in a church service. So you imagine the miracle that this would take for everybody to walk together, or at least the soldiers walking around the city of Jericho and the priests walking with them, holding the Ark of the Covenant, blowing the shofars, and nobody say a word. And the people in Jericho are looking like, what are they doing? They just keep marching, but they haven't said a thing. Why? Why would God do that? Listen, here's a good point. Silence can speak louder than words. Sometimes silence can speak louder than words, and I can prove this. Any men in the room said the wrong thing to your girlfriend or to your wife? Come on, let's be honest today. We're in church, all right? And as soon as it left your mouth, you automatically regretted it. Like, oh my goodness, what just came out of my mouth right now? What did I just say? And you already know that she's not going to speak to you for at least four more days. Like, you're going to get the silent treatment. Or maybe you're like driving a car together and you said something and now it's like, it's that awkward, like, do I turn the radio up 
or do I turn the radio down? And as soon as you look at her, she doesn't have to say anything. It's the glare. You women have a special power, I promise you. Okay, it's the glare. It's like the eyes say everything. You want to be like, how's your day, honey? And you could just see in her eyes, like, don't you ask me how my day was. You know exactly how my day was, and you know exactly what you said to me. So don't you even ask me today how my day was. And you could just feel it penetrating your soul, okay? It could be a miserable feeling. I, I wouldn't know. You know, I would never do something like that. So, so I've heard, you know, it's a miserable feeling. But here's what we see in the story. The longer they were silent, the louder they got in the heads of their enemies. You want to drive your enemies crazy, listen to this, remain silent and trust the Lord. Because not getting a reaction from you proves that they're not in control of you anymore. (laughs) That torments people. They want to see the reaction in your life. They want to push your buttons. They want to make sure that they have been heard and that they're known. And so when you remain silent, it baffles them. Like, did you, did you hear what I said about you? Yeah, I heard it. I don't care. <laughs> I gave it over to the Lord. I don't have to prove myself. I'll let the miracles of God prove everything in front of you. Right? Not only that, but listen to this. God was protecting his people. How? What happened to the first generation of Israelites? What did they do? All they did was gripe, and all they did was complain. And because they complained, they stopped believing in the promise. Faith can be contagious, but so can negativity. And many of us know what it's like to be around somebody that's constantly negative about everything, and it starts to drain your soul when it's spoken over yourself or over your family or out loud every single day. Exodus chapter 16, verse 2 and 3 says this about the first generation of Israelites. The whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. And they said, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. Be careful what you ask for. Because where did they die? In the wilderness. They got nowhere. They wandered in circles until a new generation rose up and believed. Which also tells us, be very careful of the things you speak due to your emotions. Do not allow your emotions to get the best of you. Because sometimes you can be in a good situation and be in that promise and still say things like, God, this is dumb. I don't like this. I don't want to be here right now because you're in your emotions. So guess what? What do we learn from this story? If you're tempted in this way, then the best thing you can do, be silent. Just keep moving. Keep marching, even when you don't understand. Keep moving by faith. You don't have to say anything. And because of that, all their insecurities, all their anxiety, all their worries, and intimately bring it to the Lord and say, instead of saying it out loud as they marched around the city of Jericho. By faith. Faith won't always make sense until the end. Let me say that again. Faith will not always make sense until the end, until you moved, until you got your feet wet. But my last point that I want to share with you today is this. Don't stop short. Do not stop short on the promise that God has for you. How many days did God command Joshua to march around the city of Jericho? Seven. What if they stopped at three? What if they stopped at five? What if they stopped at six and said, God, I'm tired of doing this. This is dumb. None of the bricks have even fallen. They're laughing at us from the walls. I can't even say anything. 
I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to keep walking around this place. None of this makes any sense. But God said what? He said, walk around it, march around it seven times. That's completion. I'm going to show you that I'm in control. I'm going to show you my signs and my wonders. I'm going to show you my character. I'll never leave you. You'll never be forgotten. But who is making this wall fall down? Not you. So you don't have to understand to trust that God is good. For again, the walls did not fall due to their physical strength. It fell because of moving by faith. Joshua 6, 4 and 5. On the seventh day, remember, you are to march around the town seven times with the priest blowing the horns. When you hear the priest give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can, meaning you better shout, proclaim victory now, for the Lord has handed everything over to you. And the horn, the shofar. We also see this at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18 at the return of Christ. The signal has been launched. So at this moment, God is saying, praise me. God is saying, proclaim what I have given you. And at the sound of the horn, Christ has handed this over. Redemption. All this, this promise for your life. We see Jesus over and over and over again. But how many of us fall short because we don't understand and we want to stop? Just because we're not seeing the miracle happen today. How did the walls fall? Hebrews 11 verse 30. By faith, not by strength, not by wisdom, not by plan of their own. That by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they encircled it for seven days. And here's what I love about the story too. It said in the middle of the army, you had seven priests blowing the shofars, but you also had priests carrying the ark of the covenant right in the middle. And that was a very rare thing. They usually didn't bring the ark of the covenant into battles. The ark of the covenant represents the physical presence of God. Where was he? In the middle of the army. So they were trusting that the Lord would hand this over, meaning no matter what battle you're facing today for your family, for your marriage, for your own life, for your own walk by faith, when Christ is in the center, there is always victory, not by your own strength. Because what battle do we face? How do strongholds fall in our life? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, not your own strength, your own wisdom, or how you want to fight people, or how you want to talk bad about them and say something or post something on social media. None of that works. Not by worldly weapons to knock down these strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments, which means God's weapons are not man's weapons. And God's ways are not our ways. So to win the battle, what do you do? You don't stop short. You don't walk away from God. Even when it hurts. Even when there's pain. Keep praying, keep trusting. I want to show you this video real quick. As I was in Israel, uh, this is actually the city of Jericho today. And there's even some remnants still of the wall from the city of Jericho. Like I said, it's the oldest inhabited city on earth today or in the world. And, and, and there's kind of where they said some of the remnants of the walls still remain. And what was fascinating to me is, is that right here, they also believe that a gate stood. 
because of the entrance into the city of Jericho. And so we're standing there and we're, we're filming and creating commentary and our content and all that stuff. And, and all of a sudden our, our tour guide says, hey, let's get together. So let's pray here. Pray over somebody you love. Pray over somebody that means a lot to you and you just need this bondage or this wall to fall in their life. And so we get together, we get in a circle. Now, I'm still getting to know these people. We became family by the end of the trip. But because of that, I was saying, God, I don't wanna pray over who you want me to pray over because it's personal. And I don't wanna speak it out loud, especially here from these people that I just met. But as they get closer to my turn, I knew the Lord was putting him on my heart, my brother. And I've shared many stories about his addiction since I was young. Probably started when I was in fourth, fifth grade. He got in a car wreck and his best friend died and the person they hit died as well because they were drinking and driving and that just spiraled him down even more into drinking and, and addictions. And he's been living on the streets off and on. Sometimes I can't reach him because I don't know where he is. I don't even know if he's alive sometimes. And it, so I've been through this up and down battles and, and you know how hard it is to pray for just God's saving grace but still not seeing it. And it's very easy sometimes just to give up and be done. And so we're together, city of Jericho, looking at the wall, and God says, pray over your brother. So I said, all right, God, I'm going to pray over him, but I don't want to cry. <laughs> and immediately as I started to speak, you know, your voice is all shaky, like, ah, please. And I'm like, mm, like already, like crying. But as we, we prayed together, I remembered all that God has done and what he's brought me out of what he's already done for my family, what he's already done for this church. Nothing is impossible for my God. Nothing is too hard for him, right? And I felt his presence in that moment, praying over my brother that these strongholds would just fall, that the wall would fall in his life. These things that have held him back from being in the presence of God and being free from the addictions that are in his life. And it was as free and it brought me peace. And then immediately after, we, we stop. And one of the guys looks at me and he says, hey, what's your brother's name? So I can pray over him too. And it hit me. I'm in Jericho. I'm praying that the walls fall down. And my brother's name is Joshua. And it never hit me until that moment that this is why God told me to pray over him here. Because God was bringing me all the signs of what he's already done and what he can do. And so right now in your life, I don't know what you're facing. Maybe you feel brokenhearted. Maybe you feel scared. Maybe there's a loved one in your family and you were praying for them for a long time, but somehow along the way you gave up and you stopped short just because you're not seeing it today. God has not given up on you. He never will. Do not stop short with God. I'm gonna have you stand. I'm gonna have a worship team or our prayer team to come up front. What do you do? You submit yourself to God. You humble yourself before the Lord's presence. You hear his word, his instructions on what to do. Sometimes faith doesn't make sense. Sometimes God is gonna tell you to do something you don't wanna do and lead you somewhere you don't wanna go. It doesn't matter how you feel. Do not complain out loud. Do not be led by your emotions, but be led by faith in what God is doing. He spoke it over you last. Trust that the walls can fall. Trust that what God has for you 
is good. Do not stop short of the miracle. If God tells you to keep going for seven days, do not stop on six, five, four. Do not stop just because you're not seeing it happen today. And for this church, I'm going to share a vision with you next week that is big and miraculous. And it's going to take a miracle of God for it to take place. But I know what the Lord has shown me. And we will not stop short together. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you've been blessed by this message, be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss future messages. And if you feel led to give to this ministry, check out the link in the description and see the other ways you can get connected.